Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Mill Nygut, and as always, I'm very glad to have all of you with us for our show today. If you've been listening to uh, GPB Radio already this morning, you know that we began our fall uh, pledge drive uh, today, which means that a couple times during the show today, we're going to take brief pledge breaks to give people who are not uh, helping support the work we do here an opportunity to do that. If you already do, I'm always grateful to you. I know some of you feel like, oh, we don't need these pledge breaks, but they are exactly what keeps us going. At the same time, I want you to know that our uh, uh, management people understand how much political rewind means to all of you, and so we have much longer segments than uh, other shows on our air have today because they want to make sure you get real content on this show. Enough said about that. We'll talk more about Pledge as the week goes by. It's uh, Tuesday, which means Tamar Hallerman, senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. Hello, Tamar. How are you doing? Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, we're going to talk in a minute about a wonderful story that you filed this weekend about your visit to a COVID ward at a Savannah hospital. And um, I'm really, the AJC has been doing just a spectacular job bringing the virus, uh, uh, the consequences of COVID home to people. We've tried doing the same thing with our team here, but your piece is wonderful. And I look forward to talking about it in a few minutes. Um, We're also joined uh, today by Tammy Greer. Tammy Greer, professor of political science at uh, Clark Atlanta University. Tammy, you talk about yourself as being a civic education and civic engagement enthusiast. (laughs) What does that mean to you? That means that I am uh, enthusiastically passionate about uh, civic engagement and participation and the impact that it has on all of our lives and my goal is to get others to be just as enthusiastic about it as I am. Oh, well, that's great. Um, I'm really happy to have you back on the show with us. So uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, Tamar, let's start with uh, COVID news. Um, first of all, we set a record in the number of deaths reported for one day in Georgia yesterday, which uh, is awful enough. Um, but the Associated Press is now reporting that COVID-19, this is kind of staggering tomorrow, COVID-19 has now killed more Americans than the 1918-1919 Spanish flu pandemic, which did kill, that's about 675,000 plus people who have now died of this virus. I think when this all began and we started hearing about the flu epidemic, no one in their wildest imagination thought we would exceed that with COVID. Yeah, I wrote a story in April of last year kind of comparing Georgia's response to COVID to to Spanish flu. And I just thought, okay, this is a fun little novelty story. Um, But no, it's it's insane all the parallels that there are and how people you could see when they imposed restrictions back in 18 or uh, sorry, 1918 and how initially people were willing to follow it. But at some point people got so frustrated and the state didn't want to reimpose um, 
restrictions. So certainly a sad milestone. And you're right, Bill, we had this on the front page of our paper today, 190, 191 confirmed COVID deaths reported Monday, which is a, a record. Uh, the la- The previous record was set in February and it was 186. And that was without widespread availability of vaccines. So a grim milestone and one that when you talk to medical providers, they remind you that a lot of this was preventable. Yeah, exactly. Um, we should point out that nevertheless, uh, incidents of COVID-19 are in fact continuing to decrease here, which is good news, but we're still paying the price for the rampant infections that we've had over the past weeks and uh, beyond. Uh, Tammy, let's talk about the politics of this. Um, We know that misinformation, disinformation, has prevented a lot of people from being vaccinated or taking other mitigating uh, uh, measures to prevent the virus. And now U.S. Senate candidate Herschel Walker joins that number. He sent out a tweet the other day essentially supporting Nicki Minaj, who is a huge international uh, music star. She put out a tweet, we know, in which she made some uh, really, really ridiculous claim about a friend of a cousin who had this severe reaction to taking the vaccine in large swollen testicles. It led to the, his engagement being uh, discontinued. It was an absurd tweet. And yet Herschel Walker said this, hey, Nicki Minaj, it's always okay to ask questions. It should be encouraged to be inquisitive in order to make sure we're putting our country's best interests at heart. Thank you for speaking out. Tammy? Yeah, um, so outliers uh, always happen. So there's always going to be something on an extreme where you see that there could be an extreme reaction depending on the individual. So we don't know the background of the individual. We don't know um, how the, it, it, people react to a vaccine. That being said, when you take it all um, inclusively, we see that there are enormous benefits. And so we can all latch on to you know, um, things that um, co-sign um, our feelings about an issue. At the same time, when we look at it in its totality, the, the lives that have been saved because of should be the focus and not an outlier such as that. Tamara, what's troubling to me as I read the tweet is that more than ever we now see that how people respond to COVID, whether they get vaccinated or not, becomes an issue in uh, political races in 2022. Yeah, nothing's immune from politics. Even, you know, a rapper who's really, you know, (laughs) you go to the dance club and you you dance to Nicki Minaj, but she's also somebody with a massive, massive platform. She has 23 million followers on Twitter. Um, You know, she she speaks to an audience that's that's younger, a lot of people of color. Um, And this is an audience that uh, the government really needs to reach to get more people to get vaccinated because younger people are, are not as vaccinated as they um, need to be. So you, you saw the White House kind of jump at the opportunity to, to talk to Nicki Minaj. Um, Anthony Fauci has, has commented on it, about it and um, suggested that it might not be true, that this guy might just have an STD, he might have chlamydia. And, and just this is so third hand kind of this information that Nicki Minaj is getting and spreading it to 23 million followers um, can be really dangerous. Um, and so the White House, I know, has tried to reach out to her. Um, but yeah, every person counts and it kind of goes to show um, how one kind of influencer can can really uh, make it hard to spread that message. 
Tamar, tell us about your visit to Memorial Health University Medical Center in Savannah. They've had a crush of COVID-19 cases there. Most of us just see it from a distance. You walked through the hospital hallways where they're treating COVID. Tell us a little bit about that visit. You know, what What really struck me walking through the COVID wards was how quiet it was, actually. I was expecting <laughs> gurneys, you know, gurneys, gurneys crowding the hallway and the waiting room and sick patients spilling out into the hallways and the parking lots, like what we saw in New York earlier in the pandemic. And that was not it. Um, it was very quiet. It seemed quite orderly. There's no running or screaming or shouting or administering CPR to patients everywhere. But talking to the nurses there, they're saying, actually, you know, this is organized chaos. Um, the scenes that were happening behind every closed door in every patient room was really, really dire. And, and there were more people there. They were sicker. Um, they were staying for longer. They were younger and battling more severe symptoms. And so... Um, to kind of hear that and just the sheer exhaustion from some of these doctors and nurses, many of whom had been at it for 18 months on the COVID floor. And some of them were, were hoping, you know, there's a point this summer where they only had one COVID patient and they thought, maybe we've reached the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe we're finally done with this. And how quickly things can get really overwhelmed. And there's points in the hospital where you know, the day I was there, they were diverting ambulances and telling them to go elsewhere because they were running out of bed space. And that's a really depressing state to be in. You uh, quote Amber Dixon, a respiratory therapist uh, at the hospital. She said to you, it's not something I would ever wish on my worst enemy. Our days are very long. And to put it bluntly, we see a lot of death tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and, and thankfully, there's dedicated people like her who still kind of push through and do it. Um, and, and Memorial Health is a well-resourced hospital. They have more money and more space than almost anywhere. And yet they're very much struggling to hang on and, and deal with the surge of patients. So uh, we're, we're kind of in a tenuous spot. And as you mentioned, case counts are, are better than what they were right after Labor Day. But I think a lot of people are scared about the fall. What happens now that we have all these people gathering for football games, once gatherings go inside, kids in school, and it's an open question whether they can handle so much more. Tammy, uh, before I've got to get to a break, uh, you know, we hear Herschel Walker raising doubts about the vaccine or at least lending his name to the possible reasons for doubting the vaccine. On the other hand, we have to say it's interesting, especially in terms of reaching the African-American community, which has been skeptical of uh, being th that portion of it that's been skeptical of being vaccinated. Uh, Governor Kemp announced something pretty interesting yesterday. Uh, he's got a partnership now with my old colleague and friend, Monica Kaufman Pearson, who is probably the best known African-American uh, television personality in Georgia, uh, who is going to be working with him to encourage vaccines among all people. That's a promising sign, it seems to me, Tammy. It is a promising sign. It's late in the game. It's a promising sign, though. So in addition to the vaccine, um, as we've been told by medical experts, masking is also important. So I think the message of all-inclusiveness is, is critical, especially if the, we want to turn things around, particularly here in Georgia. All right. I've got to get to our break. We're going to start the pledge drive on our show right now. If you already help support uh, Political Rewind, thank you for everything you've done for us. If not, we do need you. 
Um, our show is paid for by your donations. Our team, uh, Sam Burmistaws, Jesse Nyswanger, our senior producer position, which right now is open, um, all and me, you support our work. You allow us to do what we do. So in any way that you can be of help to us, please do. Here's how you can do it. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, Tamar Hallerman is with us. So is Tammy Greer, political science professor at Clark Atlanta University. It's a big week for news in the, on the abortion front. Uh, Tamar, Friday, the, uh, federal district, the federal appeals court here in North Georgia will take up the stay that's been placed on the Georgia abortion law, which all but outlaws abortion in the state. It's been stayed until the court can uh, uh, explore the the, uh, law more fully. So that's happening this week. The Supreme Court has now announced its schedule for taking up the Mississippi abortion law. That'll happen in early December. Um, So that's happening. But then tomorrow, even more immediately, the new Texas law is going to be challenged quickly. Two men, a man from Arkansas and Illinois, have both filed lawsuits against the Texas doctor who announced, because he wanted to take this to court, that he had performed an abortion on a woman whose pregnancy had exceeded the six-week limit before uh, 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 an abortion would be, when, when abortion would then be illegal. I didn't even know, tomorrow that you could be from out of state and challenge this. Yeah, and what's so unique about this law is not only um, does it outlaw abortion after six weeks, but it it lets private citizens sue anyone who aids and abets an abortion. Um, and the fear for many people is that it could unleash a wave of lawsuits um, that could not only challenge the doctors that would perform a procedure, but even you know the the cab driver who drives a, a woman to her appointment or a family member who might pitch in to to pay for the procedure. Um, and what's so interesting about these two lawsuits, um, or that that uh, people who have sued this um, abortion provider in Texas, yeah, neither one of them lives in state, and one of them says they're they're pro-choice. Um, they want to test it, and the other one is is a formerly or you know is a disbarred lawyer who wants ten thousand um, so dollars. So I think it'll be a real test of this. Boy, Tammy, you know, you say that your areas of interest, especially now, are civic engagement. Uh, You couldn't ask for an issue that can spark more civic engagement than both the pro and anti-abortion forces, Tammy. That's right. Um, And what's interesting to me is when you look at uh, polling data um, about this issue, Um, state by state or even uh, across the country, you see that there is more support for uh, women to have um, the ability to have bodily autonomy. Um, Yet and still, when it comes to um, voting for those individuals, elected officials within the states who have the ability to make such laws, that part is lacking. So we really need to connect um, these particular issues that we're most passionate about with um, electing officials that actually um, mimic our, our own individual um, needs and, and, and desires for what elected officials are to do. So it'll be very interesting to see. Um, and I've seen um, information that has that, um, that Republicans in particular are concerned 
that these um, these laws uh, against women's bodily autonomy could have a negative impact in elections for Republicans. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition um, here in um, this year and in midterm elections next year, particularly in Texas and in Georgia, um, since those governors are up for re-election next year. You know, it's interesting, uh, Tammy, that although the polling always shows that more people uh, in this state, across country, are are pro-choice than are uh, anti-abortion, at the same time, when uh, a a legislative body in Georgia meets, it is dominated by Republican legislators. They have the majority, clearly, and they are— following the will of their Republican, their, in many cases, conservative Republican constituents. So when Brian Kemp um, and Speaker David Ralston, session before last, wanted to move forward with a modified abortion bill, they could not get support from their members because constituents were pushing them harder and harder to the right until we get to this point where abortion if the law is eventually upheld by the courts, virtually outlawed here, Tammy? Sure. While I take the point that they were um, listening to the constituents, they were listening to constituents who were loudest, the loudest voices in the room. So not necessarily um, a, a coalition of con- constituents in their particular districts. At the same time, if we're only looking for those particular um, uh, only looking at those, then we're not looking at the state as a whole. And sometimes that's where we can get some challenges if we're only looking at um, individual districts rather than the state as a whole. And you talk about um, Governor Kemp and and some of his allies in the legislature as they were drafting what became the heartbeat bill and how um, you know, ultimately, they, they really turn to the right on this issue. And and that's because, I mean, on both sides, abortion is such an animating issue for segments of the base. And so it's kind of harder to appeal to the middle when you're most, um, you know, the, the people that you need to stay on your side feel so strongly about an issue. Um, it's hard to, to appeal to the middle on that. And Bill, you do mention how overall the majority of the public supports uh, bodily autonomy for women, but then you talk about kind of individual um, restrictions on that, not fully outlawing it, but then when you talk about abortions in the third trimester, when you start kind of going week by week and month by month, it, start, it quickly becomes a murkier picture. And that's why a lot of conservative states have been able to chip away at Roe versus Wade over the years and how we've kind of gotten to this point. Because the public, it's, it's not as cut and dry as, as um, you know, pro-abortion or, or anti-abortion. I, I, I think, thank you. I think you make a very important point. Yes, there are modifications that states have made uh, to abortion that have had an impact on women who feel they must have an abortion. Um, and you can look at the difference between Roe, which was what gave uh, uh, states the right to enact abortion, or, or said abortion was constitutional and legal uh, in, in this country, um, and then look at Casey a number of years later. later w- there was a modification right there, that abortion was only uh, uh, permissible up until the viability of the fetus, uh, uh, Tammy. So, right, that was a very dramatic change and a chipping away of abortion rights, Tammy. Sure, and yet now we're saying not after six weeks, and there's no viability after six weeks. 
So it's fascinating to see, particularly in Texas, how the way to get around the constitutionality um, or the, the, the decision by the court um, for viability is that we're not going to make it criminal. We're just going to do it from a civic action standpoint, um, which, as we know, is a lesser bar um, than, than, than a criminal bar. At the same time, I think it's critically important that we all understand that, that restrictions on women's bodily autonomy has a deep impact, not only on that particular woman. It has a deeper impact on her family, on her community, on her economic status. It has long-term impact. And I don't, and I don't know if we're really uh, diving into those particular aspects and, and going to the extreme of, you know, aborting um, a fetus at nine months, right, which is absurd to say that someone is supporting of that, just as if, just as we talked about previously with, you know, the person who had an adverse reaction to the vaccine, so to speak. So we're taking extremes on many different issues and then putting them um, inside of the conversation as if that is normal and it's not. And we really have to, you know, refocus. And, and I would um, challenge all of us that some of those extremes not to give too much air to because that murkies and muddies the, the issue overall. Tomorrow, we should put this in the context of Georgia very specifically. Butch Miller uh, has already said that he is likely to introduce a Texas-style abortion bill here in the Georgia legislature during the next session. Um, so our legislators are very likely going to be confronted with the same kind of measure tomorrow. Sure, but let's also put this into context. Butch Miller is running for lieutenant governor, and he has a yeah. pretty... Um, you know, he's got a strong primary challenge coming up from from Burt Jones. So they're both going to be racing to the right to try and appeal to that base, just as we were talking about. Um, that's firmly anti-abortion. What will be interesting to see between now and then is how these lawsuits in Texas unfold. Are we going to see bounty hunters um, incentivized by this law and the $10,000 um, reward, I guess, that you, you get if you win a lawsuit against um against some of these defendants, what sort of unintended consequences are we going to see um, because of that? And and will we get people like Butch Miller to, to answer for that? Or is it still a 100% winning issue with your base? Um, we should re point out, though, within that context, that um, the, the uh, Texas physician who performed this abortion wrote a piece about it for the Washington Post. In other words, he wanted to be challenged on this, giving an abortion to a woman past the six-week uh, threshold. We are told that abortion providers in Texas, uh, almost across the board, have stopped performing abortions. And, and so that in and of itself, Tamar, is a, uh, a <laughs> for women who feel they must have abortions, is, uh, making, is giving them no options unless they leave the state. Exactly. It's had a real chilling effect. And this this doctor in, in his Washington Post op-ed talks about a mother of four who's 42 years old um, who, who was looking for an abortion. And he said, I'll pay to send you to Oklahoma where you can still get an abortion. And she says, I don't have time for that. Who's going to watch my kids? Who's going to work my, my job? I need those wages. And so there's going to be countless cases like that that we might not hear as much about in the media. 
All right. Thank you for uh, that conversation to both of you. Um, we got to get to another pledge break. We'll have more um, with our panel after these messages. Say, Clark Atlanta University political science professor Tammy Greer, I thought about you a little while ago when I was reading uh, the Joel to the AJC this morning. Stacey Abrams has begun her national book tour. Uh, she was in San Antonio last night, and uh, th- among the things she said was this quote from Greg Bluestein, who was there for the uh, start of the tour. Uh, Abrams said, quote, the world is going to impact us one way or another. I'd rather be in the arena shaping the outcome. I'd rather be part of the doing than a part of the done unto. You know what you need already. Voting is about making sure your voice is heard and about shaping the vision of what we want to see. You know, whether you're a Stacey Abrams supporter or a Republican who really, really opposes uh, what she stands for, you have to, I think, on either side of the aisle, say that uh, Stacey Abrams has had enormous impact on acting out just that statement, getting people engaged as voters in this state. I agree. Um, You know, part of being a full citizen in this country is participating in the electoral process. And um, if it takes, you know, someone to have the audacity to be the first um, black woman to be at the top of the ticket um, in um, the in a in a race for a governor, or the audacity to be the first black woman to have the chance of being the first um, uh, governor of any state in these United States, um, and to have that type of electricity behind you, it's critical. At the same time, you know, such change and being the arena means that we as citizens must be fully engaged on a daily basis because part of having this democracy to perform the way that works for all is for all of us to get into that game. So I completely agree. Tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, Stacey Abrams has definitely taken her, her show on the road, as you mentioned, a tour around the, the country to promote a lot of the books that she's written over the last couple of years. Um, and no stops in Georgia yet, as as Republicans like to, to point out. Um, but but she certainly doesn't have to rush. Even you know, everyone's expecting her to jump in on this gubernatorial race. But you know, she doesn't have any other Democrats or at least any prominent ones who are kind of nipping at her heels, waiting to challenge her. She has sky high name recognition. This this national tour is only going to help with that. It's only going to help with her fundraising. Should you know, if and when she chooses to to jump in. So she certainly seems to kind of be soaking it all in before what we think will be another run for office. Yeah. Uh, Tomorrow, by the way, uh, speaking of books, we've now learned that Brad Raffensperger has a book contract too. He uh, is that going to have a book published, published by Simon and Schuster. It'll be out in early November. Uh, It's called Integrity Counts. Simon & Schuster describes the book as Raffensperger's inspiring story of commitment to the integrity of American democracy. And uh, they say that Raffensperger speaks out against the former president's false claims of voter fraud in the 2020 elections. Now, tomorrow you're welcome to weigh in on the book that he is writing. But at the same time, uh, this is a good opportunity to point out that just last Friday— 
President Trump uh, has, has written a letter saying that the Georgia election, the fraudulent Georgia election, needs to be decertified because there's new evidence that shows that fraud was a part of this election, and that letter went to the Secretary of State's office. Uh, so uh, maybe Brad Ravensburger is going to get some unexpected public relations help for this book tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, and it's certainly furthering the brand that he's kind of um, burnished for himself over the last um, eight or I guess nine, ten months since since the election. I mean, not only is he sort of taking a tough stand against Trump, but he's also going after people like Stacey Abrams for um, not conceding the governor's race in 2018. So we know that, that he talks about that in his book. And it also says a lot about the people who he is allying himself with. Um, in this period where he does not have a ton of friends in the Republican Party in Georgia anyway. Um, and one of the people um, named in the book blurb is, is former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, a, a Republican who has been critical of, of Trump and kind of a lot of stuff going on in the party. And he, he calls Brad Raffensperger a true democracy action hero. Um, and his group, you know, gave hundreds of thousands of dollars in grant money to Georgia counties for election administration. So it says a lot about where Brad Raffensperger sees himself in the political landscape at the moment. It's not necessarily dissimilar from Jeff Duncan as he, um, you know, as he makes the round selling his book, GOP 2.0. Um, both of them are kind of in the doghouse with a lot of um, members of the Republican base here in Georgia. But these books will, will certainly get their names out to a more national audience. Tammy, uh, in the letter that, that uh, uh, former President Trump sent to Brian Kemp and to Secretary of State Raffensperger, he said that both of them, he accused them of fighting so hard that the election truth not be told. And in the letter, he sent a report of what he claimed were 43,000 absentee ballots that violated chain of custody rules. His quote, I would respectfully request that your department check this and, if true, along with many other claims of voter fraud and voter irregularities, start the process of decertifying the 2020 election or whatever the correct legal remedy is and announce the true winner. I mean, and, and Tammy, this comes, you know, we're almost a year after uh, uh, the election. So this is on brand for the former president, right? So the former president... Um, attempted to uh, defraud the country by stating that former President Barack Obama was not a citizen and not born um, in the United States. Um, so because of that, and so he had mountains of evidence for, you know, to support that claim. Um, there are many claims over the past, um, you know, decade that the former President Trump has made. So the, the, Secretary of State and the governor of Georgia are both in a very precarious position at this moment, because if they ignore the claims made by the former president, then it looks as if they are dismissing any kind of claims of voter irregularities. Yet, if they continue to do investigations, then they're um, spending taxpayer dollars in order to go down a rabbit hole that will come up to be fruitless. So it's very interesting, the position that both are in, being that originally they both were tied to the former president. 
And only until this particular issue with the election did there appear to be some sort of a separation. So it's very interesting. Um, and I am very curious as to how both are going to handle this situation, being that, you know, you can't feed the, the situation and then try to take it back because that's where we run into some challenges. Um, this all happens on a week when, number one, uh, tomorrow, uh, Donald Trump Jr. will be in the state uh, to uh, stump for a lieutenant governor candidate, Burt Jones, who uh, uh, President, former President Trump has already endorsed for that uh, position. And then, then the big show, uh, when uh, Trump himself goes to Perry uh, to mount a massive rally, uh, the reporting now has it that this is going to be an all-day affair. Uh, Trump won't be there until the evening, but apparently conservative Republican uh, Georgians will be showing up in Perry. They're going to have a UGA game-watching party in the afternoon. And it will be tomorrow Herschel Walker's debut uh, as a candidate for U.S. Senate. He went to the UGA game on opening uh, day at home, but... Uh, he didn't make any uh, remarks as a declared candidate in this rally that will happen tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. He's made a couple appearances on, you know, very friendly Republican shows on places like Fox News. But you're right. Very much a public debut. It'll be interesting to hear his stump speech and kind of the issues he focuses on, uh, because in general, so far, he's talked a lot about himself and his background, but less about his specific policy views. So it'll be interesting to see how Trumpy. Um, and sharp elbowed he is, or, or if he tries to frame himself as as the unifier. And as you mentioned, an all day Trump fest, UGA game, but also all the the candidates who uh, who Trump has endorsed, or you know at least aligned himself with. We have Burt Jones running for for LG, Congressman Jody Heiss running for Secretary of State, um, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is also on the agenda. So I'm sure we'll we'll get lots of great tidbits from my colleagues covering that event. Um, of course, uh, uh, Tammy, we should point out that when Trump holds a rally, uh, you may be a person standing on the stage or maybe near the stage and be somebody he endorses. But uh, uh, if you were Kelly Leffler or David Perdue uh, running for Senate in the 2020 election, when Trump came uh, alleged, uh, presumably to support your candidacies, you learned quickly that what he was really there to do was talk about himself, Tammy. <laughs> Right. And not only that, I, I, I caution um, candidates to, to look at the longer game, because the longer game when we're looking at statewide elections is that, um, you know, the state is not as friendly to the former president as the state was in 2016. So the demographics have shifted, the new folks coming into the state has made statewide races more competitive. And um, even though the former president is going to get on stage and, and boast about self, um, and you think that you're going to get some face time to discuss or to get the crowd on your side, um, that may not take place. And even if you have that opportunity, the folks that, um, that are, you know, are, are solidly in your corner are those that are dwindling in the numbers inside of the state of Georgia. So when we talk about the extremes and, and really needing to go to the middle, Georgia is that competitive state that, particularly for statewide races, you need to go to the middle. Tomorrow? 
at the same at the same time, at this point, you know, they've got to get through a primary first and having Trump in your corner is extremely helpful with the with the base where, uh, you know, here in Georgia, he still is overwhelmingly popular, something like 85 percent popularity among Republicans. So I, I certainly think it, think it helps somebody like Burt Jones or, or Jody Heiss to be in that picture with Donald Trump. Um, where it gets harder is once we start turning to the, the general election. And that's where David Perdue and Kelly Leffler really struggled with uh, with Trump not, not talking about them. Yeah, I think that's an important point, Tammy. You want to win a primary, but pivoting after Trump has uh, supported you is, you point out, in a state as purple as, as Georgia's makes your life in the general much trickier, Tammy. It's much trickier. And not only is it much trickier for the candidate, it, it brings it back to the people who, who vote or who are hesitant to vote in the general election because they feel like they have extreme candidates on both ends. So the primaries mm. produce extreme candidates as the successor. And then when we get to the general election, then people really have the thought process of choosing between two quote-unquote evils because they're at the polar opposite. So this is, you know... Yeah. I'm sorry, Tammy Greer. I, okay. I didn't mean to cut you short there, but I do appreciate it. And the reason I'm a little abrupt is I do have to end the show a little early today to get to our final pledge break. But Professor Tammy Greer, really glad you came back. And I hope you'll continue to join us for Political Rewind tomorrow. Hellerman, I'll see you again next Tuesday and continue reading your stuff in the AJC. That's it for us today. Um, but, but let me say, as I throw it to the pledge break, um, you know, we have now been with you for 18 months of the pandemic, five days a week. We've been covering the pandemic. We've been covering the remarkable politics that have unfolded as Georgia's become one of the most important political states in the country. And we're going to continue to be here for you five days a week. And we would appreciate it if you would help us make this show work day in and day out by um, making a pledge. And you can do that right now. Uh, and here's how you can do it. In the meantime, I'll be back with a new show tomorrow. Take care. Stay healthy. Wear your mask. Not only make sure you've been vaccinated for COVID, but CDC says you can get your flu shot uh, at the same time. You don't have to worry about them conflicting with one another. So... Uh, do that. See you tomorrow.